This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. This is where it started for me. This is where it ends. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. Uh, doing doing pretty good. Doing better now. I, I went through like two or three weeks of borderline like movie withdrawal. Work has just been picking up a whole lot, and so this past saturday i watched four movies and then sunday i got two more in you got your hit yeah i needed that little bump and speaking of movie withdrawal like this last i feel like the last two weeks we've had i don't know it feels like a couple dozen announcements of movies being delayed it's probably been like four or five but it feels like every other day another big movie oh it's being delayed it's going to streaming and like just a couple minutes ago the announcement came that soul is not going to theaters instead it's going to just disney plus and i'm honestly kind of, kind of just depressed like <laughs> i love i love going to the theater so much it's like every every single movie that moves is like another couple weeks another month that this whole thing's going to keep going it's just i'm sad <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is i i thought that that's where i'd be but i, I was talking to he's been on the show before uh quentin about in in a weird way i in one hand i'm depressed but on the other it's funny before all of this went down i used to joke all the time i i would just i would say i wish that everybody would just stop making movies for a year <laughs> just let me catch up i'm so far behind on, there's so many classics that I want to see. There's so many classic franchises I want to see. There's like every like every year at the end, like putting together my you know 2019 year in review. Like oh, all of these that I'm sure would have been high that I just didn't get to. So in as as depressing as it is, it's almost like a twisted answered prayer where I'm like, I'm not missing theaters as much as I thought I would, only because I've just been like whenever I have the time, just trying to slam through this massive watch list of mine and there's been the like we've got theaters that are showing like they're doing classic movie re-releases and stuff and that has been fun it's it's been really cool to see some of these i just saw casablanca on the big screen the uh, the other day and i'm i may be able to catch a, an empire strikes back and i think that there's a lot of like uh classic horror movies throughout this month so yeah i I saw empire strikes back pan's labyrinth which i haven't seen like a decade oh it's so freaking have you seen that oh i I saw it but it's been like a decade for me too i'm really sad i wasn't able to catch the re-release also uh a day or two ago i saw how to train your dragon i think it was the first time in theaters i missed it the first one i might have caught a rerun but whatever it was the first time in theaters for a long time and you need to watch those movies james oh they're so good well pick them for the show and i'll watch hey you've got a year without movies get on it (laughs) That's true. This is your catch-up oh, here. So many, though. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, so we are talking about the Bourne series, and today we're going to be talking about uh, the third film of the original Bourne trilogy, The Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, before we get to talk about that, I want to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and uh, like us on Facebook, where you can keep up to date with all the latest episodes and also leave feedback that can be read in the show. And uh, speaking of said feedback, I asked on Facebook uh, and Twitter what our listeners thought about this movie. And on Facebook, uh, Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson said, uh, fitting conclusion, damn good. Eli Jones said, 
Good ending to a great series. Nathaniel said, I love all these movies. And then over on Twitter, Nostalgia Cast a Spell at WD Lundberg said, My favorite of the trilogy, the action scenes, in particular the Waterloo Station chase and the Tangier Street chase, are exquisite. I also adore how the final scene of Supremacy with Bourne talking to Landy takes place in the middle of this one, franchise filmmaking at its finest. And dude, I can't tell you how difficult it was like, during last week's episode to not spoil <laughs> the ending of Supremacy. Is actually a scene in this movie. Yeah. As soon as it happened, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, so moving into the behind-the-scenes story of this film. Um, so Gilroy did not get along with Greengrass. Uh, and and supposedly was, was very unhappy with Supremacy. Um, he did not like the way that the final product of the of the Born Supremacy film downplayed the original script's uh, focus on the redemption angle. I found a quote. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it was a quote I found on, on an article that said uh, he called the way the, the redemption angle was downplayed a crime against the gods of storytelling. <laughs> and um, so, you know, after that, after Supremacy, um, he went to work on his uh, directorial debut, Michael Clayton and Greengrass started working on uh, the story for Ultimatum. He also wrote and directed United 93 in between Supremacy and Ultimatum. Um, and the story goes that uh, Greengrass was having trouble coming up with the story, so Universal went back to Gilroy and made a deal with him to write a single draft uh, for them to start, so they could start working off of it. And uh, supposedly one of his stipulations with it is that he would not have to deal with Greengrass if he was, if he was to do it. Um, so he wrote, he wrote the first draft of the film and then left to make his own movie. And that draft has caused a lot of controversy. Um, so I have to give a bit of uh, a kind of a context for what happened next. Uh, apparently, after after Ultimatum, when Greengrass and Damon were still kind of considering doing a fourth film, but Universal kind of went behind their backs to get Gilroy to make Legacy. And so uh, while born, well, well, not born, while Matt Damon was on set for Elysium, he said he looked up one day and saw that the offices for the Born Legacy had gone up, and he had no idea this movie was even happening. Um, so like he he had just been kind of replaced, <laughs> quietly replaced in his his uh you know his big series, and so then he went and said some some uh, things to uh, I believe it was GQ. You know, this would have been in late, in, uh, late 2011. He went on this rant to GQ. Uh, talking about what he thought about uh, Gilroy's work on Ultimatum. He said, It's really the studio's fault for putting themselves in that situation. I don't blame Tony for taking a boatload of money and handing in what he handing in what he handed in. It's just that it was unreadable. This was a career ender. I mean, I could put this thing up on eBay and it would be game over for that dude. It's terrible. It's really embarrassing. He was having a go, basically, and he took the money and left. <laughs> um, That's incredible. However, uh, Universal stood by Gilroy. Obviously, they hired him to make you know uh, the Born Legacy for them. Um, but Donna Langley, the co-chairman of Universal, said that she was thrilled with the script that uh, Tony submitted and greenlit the film based on that script. So who knows whether you – know, was that just kind of sour grapes on Damon's part or was it actually a bad script or – who knows? But uh, yeah, that <laughs> all that happened. And from what I hear, um, Gilroy again went into that redemption angle trying to uh his script was about born trying to atone you know for the murders he committed as an assassin and regardless of the quality of that first draft two two more writers were brought on to complete it uh george nolfi who would later make the adjustment bureau with damon uh was one of the writers and the other writer was scott z burns 
uh, who would then next write uh, three Steven Soderbergh films, two of which, The Informant and Contagion, also starred Matt Damon. But apparently, you know, enough of Gilroy's script remains that he receives a full screenwriting credit and not just a story by credit. So there's there's got to be something of his work left in there. Along with returning cast members from the first two films, uh, we have David Strathorn coming in as the main antagonist, Noah Vosen, who is the guy that I've cut, having not seen anything, is weird. He is the guy who I've been associating with, like, the main villain for the trilogy, only to find out he didn't show up until the last one. Scott Glenn plays his superior, Ezra Kramer. Uh, Albert Finney was cast as do- uh, Dr. Albert Hirsch, the man who made Bourne. Uh, Patty Considine plays the ill-fated reporter, Simon Ross. Uh, Edgar Ramirez and Joey Ansa play assassins, uh, the two different assassins hunting Bourne. Corey Johnson uh, plays Willis, Vosen's number two guy. Uh, and then you've got, this is this movie's, oh, I didn't know he was in this. Uh, <laughs> character Daniel Bruhl as Martin Maria Croats, uh, her brother. So Oliver Wood returned to shoot the film as director of photography, and I found it kind of interesting that each of these entries has a completely different look, but they were all shot by the same guy. Um, it's just kind of cool. Uh, very obviously a very a very talent there. I, we, I I really should have mentioned this guy in the previous two uh, episodes, but a lot of credit for the action in the Bourne series has to go to uh, to Dan Bradley. He was the stunt coordinator and second director on uh, who on all three films. You know he's buying the, the Paris car chase, the Moscow car chase, the Berlin chase, and supremacy, uh, the Tangiers chase, New York chase. Like he he does the the he directs uh, and coordinates the action sequences. Um, and obviously, obviously just a huge part of, uh, of the series and its action. And also while watching the special features, I, I spotted a familiar face, uh, David Leach, uh, the co-director of John Wick and then Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, he was Matt, uh, Matt Damon's stunt double, um, for the film. Like, so, you know, when, you know, with that, that iconic shot where he jumps through, you know, from one building mm. into the window of the next one, that would be David Leach's back you're looking at. Uh, there's a lot of available information on the post-production here. Uh, we know that John Powell obviously returned uh, for the film score. Uh, and the score, looking into things, the score is very appreciated, I've noticed online. Really? I, I, okay. Yeah, it's true. I, I was just kind of like looking up different reviews and old comments on reviews and stuff. And I'll, I've noticed a lot of people point out the score. Uh, maybe maybe I just kind of happened upon some random ones, but that was not seeking it out. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. It was something that kept coming up naturally. Uh, Moby also recorded a new version of Extreme Ways for the end credits. Uh, the film was released by Universal in the U.S. on August 3rd, 2007, a little over three years after the Bourne supremacy. Um, so... Going into to my uh, memories of the, my history with this film, as with the first two, I don't remember exactly when I first saw this one, uh, but it, as with those films, it was also a staple in our home. I watched it countless times, and growing up, it was by far my favorite of the series. However, I I don't think I've seen it in the last like six or seven years. It's been a while, but it's one of those movies that you, I saw so often you know, growing up that I still remember every single you know, shot and beat of it. Um, so yeah, so this is another first time viewing for you, James. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I liked it. Uh, it's weird. I kind of, now that I've seen it all through like fresh eyes, I kind of just want to relax Saturday to like binge the trilogy in full. Um, uh, because it, it is 
like as hectic and fast paced as it is across all three movies there's something almost like a like a not a relaxing vibe to it all but it just it feels like a fun movie to put on and so i mean i guess that's one of the best compliments i can give a movie is like you know i could watch this again so yeah they're they're serious films but they're also there's they're not like difficult movies yeah they're very watchable so moving into the main review uh I, the the big thing that struck out to me in this viewing is just i feel like how much Greengrass's style kind of matured in this film I, lo- I absolutely love it in Supremacy, but I feel like here I, I had complaints in that film occasionally. And I, I even even where I didn't mind, I could totally see where it could irritate the heck out of somebody here. I think it's like shaky cam perfected. Um, Just the shots are just a little bit wider. They hold for just uh, they, I think they, 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 they um they're, they're they're framed a bit more intentionally. So it's just like I never like in this film, there were a couple times in Supremacy where I just didn't, had no idea what was going on. That was never really a problem for in the, for me in this movie. I feel like just the editing and the camera just calmed down just a little. It's it still kept you know that intense crazy rhythm that you need that, that just gets your blood pumping and, and and keeps the intensity up for the film you know for for the pacing. But it just it felt a little more focused. Um, did you notice that at all? Uh, so I didn't really notice that. Though, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's probably the case. I think that's one of the reasons why I honestly kind of wouldn't mind rewatching everything is because these initial viewings, like, obviously you can't help but notice, you know, style and, uh, and like what the director is doing, but so much of it is like you know, following plot, following, trying yeah. to follow action. That I, I kind of want to rewatch to to notice like you know the the evolution of the of the style now that I kind of know what I'm in for. Did you notice the blue, all the blue? It was a lot of blue. I love blue. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah the, the supremacy was like super sickly green. This is just oh, it's blue. It's this, a very pleasing color. They they transition to blue because the first shot here in this one is still. Maybe it's maybe it's picking up right where supremacy off and then transition. Yeah, yeah. Because it starts off with that very like, oh yeah, this is two thousands green right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and just another real quick thing before moving into the story, I don't know if you felt this, but from I I I kind of think I think that this film is where the series kind of finally accepted its identity as action films. Um, you know, they're still grounded, they're still gritty, they still have you know, all the things that make it born. But I feel like, whereas we talked about supremacy, it was, it was often, it always did the, the, it was always trying to not be cool, both supremacy and, and most of the time in identity. Like, sure, cool. Like it, it, there are moments where the thing, things are happening on screen that are, that are intrinsically cool. So like they're, you know, wrapping up a newspaper and swatting someone with it. Like that, that, that is kind of cool, but it, it always felt like it was, it was combating that it was trying to be grounded, trying to be serious. I feel like this film, while, while still maintaining a very similar tone, I feel like they kind of gave itself permission to just be a cool action film and to, and to just kind to go all out and, and have some fun with it. Um, in, in these various sequences where like the almost, not not to the point where he's like physically doing things that can't humanly be done, but to where he's kind of a superhero at some point. It's like when in the Waterloo sequence or in the Tangier sequence, like he's just 
doing so many cool, awesome things in a row where he kind of almost becomes a superhero. Um, and I, that's not a criticism at all. Like we had two films, you know, that were really trying to be serious and dramatic. I'm fine with a third film. Like, okay, let's just have fun with it. Like, how, did you did you feel that shift at all? Yeah, it, it's weird uh, because I both agree and not disagree, but like hesitate with the idea that it it embraces act, or like being an action film. Because on one hand, you definitely get more of like the superhero vibe. I mean, you know, the bomb going off and the guy who's like further behind him and in the car dies and but he just kind of like gets up and shakes off a headache. Like he's he is an action hero at this uh in this film. Uh like yeah. through and through. I I really like I really like the way that plays out in the scene when he's with the reporter where like mm-hmm. you've got this guy who's like, do this, do this, do this, everything's fine. Like who just feels completely in control. And that's another As he's just nonchalantly beating up goons yeah, here. That's there. that's another thing here is I feel like I really feared for Jason more in the first two, whereas here it was it very much felt like alright, how's he like how's he taking everybody out, you know? What's what's yeah. he gonna do? Cause it, it it especially in supremacy, it felt like is very um slapdash, like making it up as you went. And this one it felt like every situation you're going in with a plan, you've got every all the routes taken care of. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the, it also felt, and I don't know why, like maybe if I rewatched it, I would think so. It, it felt like there was almost less action in it though. Uh, really? Cause you've got the, you've got the scene in the, in the mall and you've got like the incredible scene with Desh. And then the New York chase. Yeah. I I I think it has more than the other film. Interesting. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just weird. At least more screen time because the the three sequences, like the Waterloo sequence, the Tangier sequence, and the New York sequence, they're all pretty lengthy. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just like in after the fact, I just I quantify things by scenes and like by amount of scenes <laughs> as opposed to like because like these are these are lengthy. Especially the the scene with Dash, which is my favorite part of the movie. That that whole sequence is incredible, and I love how long it plays out and where all it goes and stuff. But yeah, but I felt like there was maybe more so than supremacy. There was a lot of like, uh, well, I say that now that I think about it, it it felt in the moment like there was more conversations back at different headquarters and stuff. Hmm. And- Okay, moving off of that, I, I I wanted to talk about this in the previous two reviews, but I kind of slipped my mind. Like, I I wonder I wanted to talk a bit about like where does this film stand like in the larger spy genre? Like, what does it say about that the time that our fears during that time period and like how you know what level of trust did we have in our government? I feel like you can kind of like trust like the national paranoia by you know by you know, a decade spy movies. Um, it's like, what do you think? Like the previous films, you know, the two previous films, and then this film. Like, what, what do you what do you think they say? Kind of about our fears of the government and you know surveillance and all that stuff. Because like this is this is still pre Snowden. Yeah, I I think their their proof. Although when was when did Born Identity get put into production? I, I think in like nineteen ninety nine. Okay, so I got you can't really say it about that one, but. Especially, I mean, they they completely double down. Every every sequel is just about another government agent hiding something. 
definitely feels like like pretty much every genre. You know, when nine eleven happened, it majorly affected uh, the film industry. You just you see a tonal shift um, into you know like yeah like paranoia, espionage. I I feel like just you you feel that shift in these movies and it's not all i i don't think because of that event but just in general movies feel like they they changed and i and i also think that because like when you think about where action was at this point and like the last big action movies were you know bond snowboarding on ice and stuff it felt like since this attempted to you know, attempted and succeeded at bringing action to something more gritty and real. I feel like they also, these movies went, like, they, they intentionally avoided feeling naive, you know? And so to do that, it feels like I'm not naive enough to believe that the superheroes come from the governments. The governments are probably the shit. Like, that's that's where everything shady is done. And so that was, if we're... Pull, if we're stripping things down and we're making things gritty, it's hard to do like the on the secret agent man, government hero kind of kind of character. Yeah, like so the going back to the seventies, you had you know Nixon, you had a lot you know a lot of spy thrillers kind of in that you know showing that you know distrust for government. And then I think feel like the nine I don't I'm not sure what the eighties were like. There was more of the Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger time period, but like the nineties, you had. The kind of like John Gresham type thrillers where they're conspiracy thrillers, but I feel like as often as not, it was a corp like a corporation was the bad oh, guy. Yeah. Rather than necessarily like there was also like corrupt government, but it was more like the big bad guy was some businessman. Hans Grimm. And then And then in after you know, post nine eleven, I feel like especially you know, then it had a, a real resurgence after after uh after Snowden, but like, I feel like it, it became kind of government and the surveillance state. And you could really see that in Ultimatum where so I think feel like so much more than the previous two films where it's like all the security is like real, real time. Whereas alt, whereas uh, identity and supremacy was more people trying to catch up with Warren. Whereas this film, you have so many sequences like in the command center. I've been talking about, you know, they have, they finally got the command center. Uh, the big screen on the wall. And like, it's all real time. You know, all the security cameras following him and, Got and, CCTV, um, you know, hacking and yeah, and like this talking about like, hacking to his BlackBerry and in bugging phones. It feels like the fears of a surveillance state are very present, are more present in and probably not, you know, kind of omnipresent in this film than the previous two. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, since we're getting into the or like his own origin and what this is all for and you know you've got the the repetition of like that you wanted to save american lives and the, this idea of of security at any cost kind of thing uh you feel that yeah. present way more so here than before and another f- reason i think this feels more like a movie than the previous two is i feel like this I don't want to say the previous two didn't have like a a, a message. Like they they have you know, they have themes, they have a point of view, but I feel this film has kind of a I, I don't want to call it preachy because it's not like within in any other action action film this would be super nuanced you know nu- nuanced and uh, subtle in in the way it lays out its themes, but in comparison to how grounded and and, and kind of. 
I don't know, I don't know if non-judgmental is the term is, but just it, feel, it didn't feel like the first two films were really trying to make big statements about the government and 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 uh, and uh, covert ops. But I feel like this film is you get a lot of green grasses. I don't know if he's an anarchist, but he definitely has a lot of distrust of authority. And I feel like now that he's taken over from, or he's the one guiding the ship as part, as opposed to Gilroy, a little bit more of that came through. So you have dialogue that is much more dialogue that is making statements, not just because characters, but also because this is the theme of the film, whereas that wasn't really happening in the previous two films. So it's like, I, I, I can't, I, the word, the term that we usually use is preachy, but I don't want to say preachy because it's, it's still better than most, most actual preachy dialogue in films. But there are a lot of scenes, especially between um, Landy and Vosin, where, you know, that's what makes us special. No more red tape. No more letting the bad guys, in, you know, getting the bad guys in our sights and letting them escape as, as the guy in Washington gives the order. Or uh, you know, other sequences, you know, you don't, you do not have the authority to kill her. Uh, you know, yes, I do. And you better get on board. She's one of us. You start down this path. Where does it end? It ends when we've won. You, that that kind of victory at any cost notion is is definitely being pointedly critiqued here. And the idea of these agencies without accountability uh, and you know, killing U.S. citizens without any kind of um, any trial or uh, weights and measures and all our counterbalances. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling. But did you, did you feel did you feel at all that this film? Ha- was bringing more of a focused perspective on that or and, and with a with an intent and yeah, message and i think why it worked for me here is because it it didn't come out of left field you know like i it's I, I think everything it's saying is kind of there in the peripheral in the first two but it's there out of necessity mm-hmm. like you can't tell the story without those ideas being present and or an ultimatum was like oh well we got these ideas like it's already for the sake of the story; these elements have to be present. We might as well talk about them. Is is what it felt like to me? Yeah, th- this isn't even a critique. It's just like, oh, this is a movie. But yeah, I like movies, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. Like, it's it's more of a movie than the previous two. Like, that's not. It's, it's just it's more of an observation on my part. Um, although I do gotta praise how I think how naturally that evolution happens. Like it doesn't. Even though you can point to this, this, and this, this, where it's becoming more of a classic Hollywood movie, it still, it feels of a piece with the previous films. It doesn't yeah. feel like some kind of left turn, I think, which is, which is the important thing because, you know, it's a series, it's evolving. They, they have to evolve. So I, I will say maybe not so much an issue, but kind of something that, that I, I think wasn't as much of a strength here though, for me as, as, as was in the first two is I, I think the first two had very natural setups and conflicts. Like it felt much more defined and concrete, um, especially with like inciting incidents and, and then motive, like motivation for both parties. What's going on feels a little bit, not nebulous, but um, just a, a little less defined you know supremacy kicking things off with the death of his uh, of maria you know like that's that provides motivation and it thrusts him in a in a believable way into a a story that is intriguing Mm -hmm. uh but because 
it feels like this movie starts after an inciting incident. You know, we we don't really have that thing to latch onto, and then there's not even really the the reveal of okay, this was that's what this one's about. It's more of just like we we're with born mid trying to find out who he is, um, and I guess for me because at this point we know I I feel like we know enough about born to where I'm not like all right strap in like we're about to find out who this guy really is so because that's kind of like the the primary motivation despite really enjoying this i i do think that i I was maybe less intrigued by where this one was going than in in terms of like his character and and the, the the conflict of the film yeah yeah supremacy had a really strong ending point and they have to do a lot of legwork in those first fifteen minutes. You know, setting up you know Neil Daniels, Simon Ross, Black you know Blackbriar. Like they have to do a lot of setup to you know to pull Bourne back into the action. And I, I think it kind of, it works. Like by the end, when he's standing there and Albert Finney is monologuing, I, I'm feeling it. I understand. You know, I, the journey was worth it. All of that, but it does. It, there's a lot of work to get Bourne you know back into the action and back on the hunt. Um, that you, you you do have to buy in to this you know to this new new hunt like in the first fifteen minutes yeah, and it 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 does kind of also suffer from what what I would say all three of them do to some extent which we've talked about in the episodes and that there's especially for me um in that there's like the movie presents itself like it moves with with an understanding that there's a lot of intrigue but there like there there's less intrigue and mystery than the movie feels like it thinks there is and i don't know if that's just me unfairly reading into things but like we talked about like especially with the first two where all of the information is like as soon as we we cut to the cia portion of things it's just guys in suits talking exactly like talking about exactly what's going on and what happened and like it's a mystery to born, but you're always you always kind of feel in the know, and there is I, when we talk about like born as a character and what's ultimately like there at the end of this movie. I do like that a lot, but um, there there still isn't that sense of like what are we going to uncover, what's going on, and and one thing that I was surprised by was. Um, that there there wasn't really much behind Blackbriar, like I I really I th- I thought that it was going to differentiate itself from Treadstone more than it did. I, maybe it's just because, like I said, there's just something I weirdly liked about uh, Brian Cox, uh, just like all all of his dialogue at the very end of of Identity was like, oh Treadstone, it's all but put on ice, it's nothing. But uh, now Blackbriar, it's just this. Like, you're like, oh, okay, what's this? And then it's, you know, pretty absent from supremacy. But whenever it gets pulled back up, I'm like, okay, so what is Blackbriar? And it, it's just kind of treadstone again, it feels like. They never learn. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, it, like I said, it's not specific to this. It's kind of the trilogy on a whole. But I, I just, I do wish that there was more to uncover, you know. Mm-hmm. I've got a crazy theory 
that the plots of these films are more just excuses so they can have action scenes out of them. I don't Maybe know it's just, about that. It's it's, 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 it's probably probably ridiculous, but yeah. <laughs> I and for me, like I I get what you're saying, but like for, I I am so my. I have such a long ingrained history with these films, like, but that that's what Born is, and Born is awesome, so who cares? Uh it, it, I, I I get what you're saying, but it doesn't really affect me that much. It's like this is just the way it is, so <laughs> when Born gonna punch someone. And speaking of punching someone, there are a whole lot of uh, really, really good action sequences in this film. Um the first one, you have the the Waterloo station sequence, which is um it's great, it's great. <laughs> but I love the conceit where you have the hapless guy um, who he's guiding through and just uh, just I love the way Matt Damon delivers his lines where he's just like he's not even thinking about what he like he's 10 steps ahead and he's just like very monotonely telling him do this this like rattling off these really complicated instructions like they're nothing as he's like punching a dude and kicking him down the stairs it's just and, and he's constant he's constantly just walking really fast around you know in and around in between and like dropping a phone in his pocket it's just and all of that is playing off of um you know the cia's perspective where they don't know they don't for the first half they don't even know born's involved and it's, it's almost like a horror movie where he's taking out their you know their guys their their observers one by one like what's going on until that final reveal in the security camera like oh my gosh that's jason Bourne, <laughs> and the whole thing shifts like it, it's it's just a really i'm gonna, I, I, i'm just gonna have so much hyperbolic praise for the action sequences in this film because i think they're all just pretty much perfect but i love the conceit of how that thing is built with him trying to guide you know the, the newbie through a whole cia manhunt yeah, and I like that the guy isn't annoying. You know, like when he panics, it feels completely realistic and believable, especially having just witnessed the fight scene in the hallway. Um, and I think like the way that that situation resolves is genuinely not shocking, but at, at the very least, like truly surprising for me. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like in in the moment we're you know we're setting up our our major side character for the movie you know like this is the this is our new uh character to interact with born so when mm-hmm. he bursts out the door and you like you see the headshot it's it's it is kind of shocking um yeah the way the, the music builds up to that and just goes out i really love the way that that whole sequence is shot as well like that's that is where I say I'll say that I, I definitely noticed the just them using wider lenses and j- giving there there's there's more visual information uh, in that scene than I, I think you usually saw in like supremacy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's certain images that I love, like him behind the sign as as the they fold and change. Like that's just cool, and I like that the. CIA guys, guys, they're not stupid. They're they're really good, and Bourne is kind of counting on the fact that they're really good by doing things like having him kind of stand really close to the guy in the blue hood, so they'll assume that's the content. They'll go after him. Like he's he's playing him, like he's having to play them, but not make them look like idiots. Like having to really take the time to work around the fact that they're all really good at their jobs, and like one little mistake, like him freaking out about the garbage man and walking slightly to the left. He's spotted, and they all converge. Like, or oh, that fight scene when when uh they meet behind behind in the hallway behind where 
it's so slick. Uh, I think like, this is kind of also where it's become more of an action film. Like, oh, it's really fun to watch him punch guys. It's not as brutal and, and depressing. Um, where he just goes in, like he takes he takes one dude out, throws Ross out of the way, grabs the next guy, and tosses him into the third one. And then you know throws him down the stairs, grabs you know whacks him in the head, tosses a gun up in the up in the um in the the grating. Like it's all just happening. Every single action and motion leads into the next one. It's just this smooth. Um, and then it all ends with him looking up at the camera and cutting back to Vosin and like, oh my gosh, he's born. I, I think so. That that scene I feel like happens maybe fifteen minutes at least into the movie, and I think that's part of why I felt. Like it was less action heavy, is because mm. there's a lot of like. Despite the, it's weird because there isn't a lot of like. Well, there there is setting the stage and stuff with with Daniels and everything, but there, there's a lot of something that I noted is whenever Vosen like is first introduced, his entire first scene of dialogue is walking through like five different glass hallways, scanning badges at the end of every single door. Something I, I really liked about that. And I feel like is intentional is each film feels like we're climbing higher and higher up the chain of command. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like like we said, the first one is just kind of this this closet with some computers thrown in there. Then we kind of we get into a more open office space up until you know the command center here. And so whenever we're introduced to Vosin here, we're we're walking beyond all of these offices, and then it's just through all of these all of these hallways badge after badge until we get to like like visually it's it's conveyed you know we are we are at the top of the top right now you know like we're with CIA director Ola Stick from Daredevil like we are we like we are we're at the top now um speaking of which Scott Glenn how awesome is he <laughs> yeah his his voice is so cool um but but yeah, like it's, so there is a lot of like walking and talking and setting the stage, and so it does you you feel a, like it is a bit before you get to the action because you know in supremacy we we set up where they their relationship is, but pretty quickly we're we're right into chase scene. Yeah, unlike supremacy, I feel like this film does take the time to pause and catch everyone up. Like like the first. 10 minutes that we're, we're going to Landy, DeVos, and, to, you know, uh, Ezra Kramer, all of that is kind of, it's cleaning up, you know, tidying everything up from the supremacy and, you know, moving us toward what the story for this one is going to be like. They're, they're, they're sp- actually spending some time to catch viewers up, which they haven't done previously. Yeah. So h- how, how do you feel about uh, David Strait there as the, as the antagonist? To me, he's, he just looks the part <laughs> like, <laughs> like okay how i i love how this series kind of like every single you know middle-aged to old white dude character actor (laughs) plays some kind of bureaucrat in these movies i love it like just all the different guys they got chris cooper brian cox steven strather scott glenn albert Payne. like there's so many just amazing character actors that are just kind of sprinkled throughout here and get to chew the scenery i just I, i adore it yeah, like I, I mean, I know I've I've probably brought it up every single episode, so I gotta bring it up again over, or at least over the born episodes. But yeah, any any time you can find anything that resembles like a Star Wars bureaucrat bad guy, I'm I'm right there. Uh, 
do you, you do realize that Star Wars bureaucrats are, raised, are are based on like real life bureaucrats? It's not the other way around. Uh, no, that's not true. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, like I I like these kinds of villains. There's just there's something that has always just been really compelling and intriguing and like easy to like enjoyable to watch about these kinds of characters, where mm-hmm. like they're behind the scenes they're there's just something so fascinating about that like i'm doing bad things we're giving orders to murder we're doing all this but we're gonna be dignified about it you know like we're we've it's for a greater good it's like these these characters are just interesting and i really like his performance one like i said he just he has the right demeanor he's got the the ability to kind of have the like politely and dignified in, in a dignified manner give these kinds of orders talk down to somebody and be like yeah that's a that's a that's a bureaucrat right there uh so so yeah i like him in the role a lot and like he's not quite brian cox but he he does have a lot of presence and i feel like i think he's a he's a higher rank in the cia than cox so he doesn't even have to bother with kind of blustering self-righteousness he doesn't feel the need to defend himself for his honor he can just do what he wants to do and walk all over his, you know, his subordinates. Like, it, and if Landy says something, he just kind of looks at her and <laughs> I love when she goes like, "You, know, you do not have the authority to kill her," and he just like swells up, almost like a rooster. Like, "Oh yes, I do." Like, it's like he doesn't he doesn't care. He doesn't have to justify himself. He just does what he wants to do. Something that I did find funny though is like with all of these ones there's this there's this progression in who feels ownership over like the program where at first it's like it's it's chris cooper's thing you know and and they're explaining to brian cox like because he, he's specifically asking like well what happens now like oh well you know they after 24 hours they usually just turn themselves in that's, that's what usually happens and then in supremacy it's like now you know it's it's his it's abbott or it's uh Ward Abbott, who's who's kind of like that. This is my my show, and then we keep further and further climbing up. And like, oh, I can't let this come back to me. All the way up to like Scott Glenn, the CIA director, who's who's got to you know make sure that this doesn't get out there. So it's it's almost like not rewatching or thinking about those in retrospect. Like these, oh, oh Chris Cooper, this goes so far above you. <laughs> he actually thinks he's in charge. How adorable yeah um, but that works too you know it's not it doesn't feel like retconning because now you're like oh yeah chris cooper is absolutely the guy that they could just go and kill at the end of the movie and be like oh yeah he's he's yeah. not high enough like, to they, be protected from they, something they like talk that. about they talk about like you know remember why we brought landy and if it goes south you know tie it up hang it around her neck and let you know let, let her let her uh take all the blame for it <laughs> that's what they do all these people so they can have a uh, deniability all these poor underlings they can just throw away. <laughs> and who also buy it hook, line, and sinker. Like, oh, this is my show. Cool. So then we have uh, you know, Joan Allen as Pamela Andy continuing. And and this film, she kind of goes, like, she ended uh, Supremacy with ki- kind of building a shaky trust with Warren. Although we find out, like, that yeah, that end scene was, you know, midway through this. But so, like, at the, at the end of this film, we... we, we we open it where she's kind of you know, quietly defending Born behind the scenes. Um, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't think they should just take him out. She thinks they can. They should try to contact him, try to work with him. Um, and then, so by the end of the film, where she's like a, just a straight up ally of his, telling him 
you know, where he needs to go to find out what he needs to what he needs to know because you know this this isn't the CIA she signed up for. This isn't us. Like there's very there's like you know she has a crisis of conscience. I think Nikki Parsons has a crisis of conscience. I do like how there comes a point where the CIA people can't just keep saying okay, they can't just keep acting like oh well, that was just one bad program that we you know you know we we can we can end that one program and then we'll all be fine. Like they really have to make a choice. They can't just keep hiding behind the bureaucracy. And you know they had to make these like very, very incredibly dangerous choices with enormous personal consequences to to do the right thing. Which I, I feel like naturally lends itself to what we we're talking about earlier, which is that this, this film feels a lot more thematically aware of itself. You know, because you are making statements by having these char- putting these characters in these situations and making them make the decisions they do. It kind of it goes beyond just well this this is this is a friend of the protagonist and this is what these characters do. It's like no, it, it's a, it's aware of of what it's saying, you know, and and by having its characters do this, you know, there is some level of critique going on. Yeah, and and going to DeBoren as a character and his arc in this film, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like all three films kind of end in disappointment. It, in a way for him. Whereas the first one, he's trying to find out who he is and he finds out, Oh crap, I was an assassin. I was a horrible person. I don't want to be that. And so he has to run away from that. Second one, you know, he's coming back for revenge only to learn that, Oh no, I'm also a horrible person. You know, I was also a horrible person and maybe I'm the one who needs forgiveness. And this one where he, he's coming at, you know, he's going after Ross because he knows where I came from. He knows who I was. And like, it's like, he has to believe there's a grand conspiracy. If something happened to me, I know what I need to know what it was, or I'll never be free of this. He like, he needs there to be something. But he gets to the end and he's confronting um, Albert Finney, and he's like, "You know, why did you pick me? Why me?" He's like, you, "Dude, you came to us. You volunteered." And it's like again, like this. this n- n- he he need almost like he needs to be the victim. It's like he needs to have. You know, there has to be some some reasons behind this. But every time he just kind of finds out. Something that that, that oh, it makes him look worse, like like so much of this, it actually was you know his fault, his own doing. Like he he created, he built, um, you know, he he set all this off. He you know, he killed he killed Nesky and his wife. He chose to be an assassin. Like all these were all choices that he made. Where he he's never allowed to really pass the blame off, which I I, I like. I like that you know, they're constantly bringing the culpability back to himself. Yeah. Uh, that's something that I really liked. At first, I was like, "Oh, please don't tell me that that this movie isn't above sticking to him being a bad guy in his past." Like, let's that's that was my favorite part, and like I, I think we talked about it in the last episode. Something I wish they they went even further with, which is like, so does Tony Gilroy? Yeah, <laughs> we we think the same because like, that that's that's the most interesting aspect of supremacy to me is you know how I. It's like waking up with absolutely like I don't know I I guess it'd be what what people what it, what it feels like to wake up after doing something horrible while you were drunk or something like you have to deal with the fact mm-hmm. that that you did regardless of the fact that you have no memory of it there is culpability there and and how do you live knowing you're guilty of something you don't remember I, I don't know like that's just super interesting to me. Uh, and so I'm glad that they. I was. I was so glad that they didn't undo that. You know, whenever whenever Finney is like 
you you came to us you know like this that really that went a long way for me because i'm like okay like this is definitely this is the most movie of of the three of them but there's not a you sorry it was this big grand conspiracy and we brainwashed you and all this is like no like there, it was a program you wanted to do it that's 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 the end of the line yeah i guess the the only thing for me is that it I do like the, uh, <laughs> I'm not a masochist, but I do like the idea that like it does end in some form of pain for the protagonist and every pain or, or, or disappointment, <laughs> like you said, at the end of all of them. I think the only issue for me is that by the end of the third time, there's some feeling of repetition, I think. In the reveals? And the mem- the memories and yeah, because I think like we said honestly, if you if you tr- really trace the reveals, like if you combine all of the reveals, like if you were to do if you were to take everything we know in by the end of Ultimatum and count the like and just look at the difference between what we have all the info we have by the end of Ultimatum and all the info we have by the end of Identity, there's not a whole lot of added information it, it's more detail like by the end of identity we know like this guy was a was an assassin capable of awful things and each one is just kind of a little elaboration on it but not anything particularly new like you know by the end of the the second one we're like okay so we knew he was a bad guy and here's some details about one of the really bad things he did and here it's like okay we knew he's a bad guy and okay like he yeah he we it, but maybe before we thought he was a bad guy now we know he's a bad guy but I, we didn't really at least for me i didn't doubt that he was a bad guy either so the, what's funny is like I, I was happy that him being a bad person and like being willing to pull the trigger the way he does you know i, I was glad that that was confirmed but honestly that wasn't a doubt until the movie kind of introduced it as a doubt also <laughs> so it, it wasn't a resolution yeah. it's like okay i'm glad i have this i was just glad because well m- movie you brought it up you know like i i wasn't even thinking this until you talked about it but but i'm glad that you stuck to your guns yeah there is definitely a formula in place by the third film you you, you have the, the big you know the big huge fist fight brawl with the other assassin you have the car chases you have the you know the old white character actors in in you know offices yelling at people and people clacking on keyboards really quick and yelling information like they they have they all have a very similar structure and style but for me it's like it's kind of like but in this film they perfected it and like i think it feels like uh the force awakens or uh indiana jones and the last crusade was like yeah they're kind of made up of pieces of everything before but also they're just put together perfectly to make this fantastic ride of everything I love about this series. Hey, hey, A New Hope is perfect. Wait, I said, I said The Force Awakens. Yeah, I know. But but I'm saying there was nothing there that needed to be perfected because it was already perfect. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, I know, it, 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 Sure, it, it, it might be a collection of everything that came before, but it's also, it's put together in just like the best possible, most entertaining way. And that, that's kind of how I feel about the, you know, the ultimatum as well. I... Th- I, I agree. I think the only like the one aspect that I that I do think isn't the the most perfect aspect is as much as I you know talked about really liking David Strathairn. I think I think Brian Cox and supremacy is 
is the peak of the sure. of the villains here because that's that's one thing that didn't work for me quite as well is there was an understanding of why we can't let this come back like you understand chris cooper's desperation uh and seeing just how above it all and cool-headed Brian Cox is, it me- it means that much more whenever we see his desperation and supremacy, and again, hit, like his need to cover up, feel like that motivation feels compelling and believable, and and I think for both Scott Glenn and David Strathairn's characters here, it's they, they can't let it catch up to them because that's that's what their dialogue says, you know, like I I can't let this get out. <laughs> But that you don't really get the sense of like this is why this like this is what sure. we're covering up. It's it's more of like hey we're covering up the program in general as opposed to like like the specific assassinations and their immediate repercussions that we see in the first two. Mm, that makes sense. Um, uh, moving on to one uh, another cast member. Uh, I I feel like I'm very interested to see how you felt. How how did you feel about Nikki Parsons coming back in her role in this film? Uh, I like Nikki. Like she's <laughs> she's just a, a character that I feel like is easy to root for, and even by the third one, she still hasn't like left that that just kind of vibe of like you seem like a really nice person who's like too moral to be where you are, <laughs> and I'm gonna root that nothing like I'm gonna root for nothing bad happening to you. Uh, so I was glad that they brought her back. You know, again, like bringing her back and having her kind of take on the Maria route and like be with him on this journey. That's another m- element that feels like, Oh yeah, this is a movie. But again, like I, that's not always something that has to be set. Like you don't have to apologize for being a movie either. So like she's, she's a character who has been established, who has a, a, a history of, of seeming moral. So I think the the way the film uses her, I don't I don't think it's something that feels like, well, we need this girl character. It's like, oh no, Nikki's here. She's you kind of feel some level of understanding. There is a level of history there. So uh so yeah, I I still like her character. Yeah, I I feel like we talked about supremacy it, it missed that Maria character. It missed having someone who could be there to force, you know, this cold, dead terminator machine that is jason Bourne, you know to have a bit of humanity and so having another character that he where he has to you know protect her and op- you know, occasionally open up and not just be this cold glaring thing is, is very valuable I, I think they did they did enough to differentiate her where she wasn't just like a marie clone yeah um uh, just that, that that first like sure is it realistic that she also happened to be assigned in uh was it was it milan I forget. Like it's, it was in Naples. It was a city. Uh, like is it realistic that she happened to be assigned to that one place again to run into Bourne? Probably not. But they just they do it as kind of a surprise reveal and they never question it. So who cares? Um, but I did like the first moment where he just pulls her and sticks the gun in her face, and you can see she's changed. She's grown up a bit. Like yeah. I feel there's a there's a bit of flint in her eyes. Like where he's like, "Where's Daniels?" And he kind of. Like, you gets into his threatening voice again. She kind of just like stands there and stares him down. Right. Like you, you can tell she's, she's like seriously considering like not even telling him anything. Um, and it was cool. Like just to see that little bit of growth in her as a person, uh, very quietly done in the background. You can, you can track her, her maturity by her hair. I think one little thing. I, I never realized this until someone mentioned it in a review. 
there seems to be a possible insinuation that there was some kind of relationship between Nikki and Bourne. That's pre-identity. That's what I felt, and I was waiting for that elaboration, and it never came. So I, I didn't know if like if it was, did I pick up on something that wasn't there, or, or was is that all that they wanted? But I've I very much felt like, and that the thing is, it, it definitely feels like an intentional allusion to something that was there, and that was that's the only bit of of kind of like that feels retcon e because it i feel like it's hard to read that into identity and supremacy yeah like, i'm glad it's so subtle that i can headcanon and not you know, like, like headcanon that it didn't actually happen that she's talking about something else um but there, there is you know like, why are you helping me? it was difficult with me you know with you know, it was difficult for me with you, and she looks at him, and there's like a ten second of silence where you see Bourne going, like he's like, oh, oh, like his eyes kind of widen. Uh, there's this really meaningful pause, and then you know you don't really remember anything, do you? And then it's kind of never brought up again. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something there. I don't, I don't believe it. It fits. Like nothing in identity or supremacy would at all make you believe they had any kind of con- previous connection. Yeah. Um. So I just I just kind of head candidate out of there, but there there is there's a very pregnant moment between them, um, that means something. I don't know if it's the movie feeling like it has to justify her helping him, but I feel like we already have like Pamela Landy has already introduced the idea that like there are people who are able to operate in this like world of bureaucrats without really compromising their integrity. So I. I could have already just bought, especially since she has like, you know, you talk about that, her, her first confrontation with Bourne and it is kind of that not look of defiance, but just like, okay, almost a this again kind of thing. I feel like, you know, she sees this so often and, you know, like she's, I can buy, you know, she's talking about um, the process that they had, like that these assassins had to go through and, and just like the mental state of them and stuff, I could already buy that. Like, yeah, this is at some point she just wants to scrub her hands clean of this whole mess. So I don't, I don't really feel like you have to create some sort of, oh well, I you know I I can't keep doing this, especially with our history. It's like no, I could I could buy that without that. Yeah, I, I like it being a crisis of conscience where she's like, finally, okay, I'm gonna push back against this corruption that she's seen firsthand. Like she worked with Coughlin. She knows, she knows what's <laughs> happening. Um, yeah. And, and it gives us some really, I, th- I thought powerful, quiet little moments. Um, particular. We'll talk about the Tanzir sequence, but jumping to afterwards, uh, um, where, where they're, uh, they're just kind of together in the hotel room and Bourne is just kind of sitting there days. Uh, another thing. I love that this film, you know, it has, it, it, it Born is totally he he's not going to lose a second of sleep over breaking some dude's spine and crippling him for life, but it <laughs> taking a life comes with a cost. Um, and you know after he strangles Dash and they're just and then he looks up and we see just Nikki shocked, like kind of she's kind of in shock face looking at it, and he like he did all of this to save her life, but he can't even look her in the eye now. Yeah. Him and he's like this is probably hours later, but he's still trying to process what just happened. You know, I can see their faces. Everyone ever killed, 
I just don't know their names. And also, I, I love how it, it's it's um it's cut between uh, Pamela and Landy looking through the Treadstone file, so we're seeing their faces and names yeah. as he's kind of reminiscing. Um, you know, I've tr- I tried to remember the names. I've tried to apologize for what I've done, for what I am. None of it makes it any better. And it's just this really quiet scene of two people who. You know, they, they, they've, they've, they're connected by like this trauma and, and pain and just these really terrible circumstances, but they, they still don't really know each other. Um, and like, she's just like little things like where she just reaches over and takes his hand. You think, and it's nothing, but it's also like such a huge moment when you, it kind of, it comes, it comes all crashing back, like the loneliness of that life. Thinking back to, um, to Clive Owen in The Born Identity, where he's like, you get the headaches too, especially with drive. Like he's dying, so he feels like now I can finally reach out and have a connection with someone else who understands. Like these tiny little moments, just a, a little human touch, feels huge because of how isolated this character's life has been. Where he like he doesn't talk to anybody in these movies. He's always alone, and just this tiny yeah, little moment I, of human connection. That's something connection, that I like it, about both. Really is you see it a lot in a in identity as well. Like when Maria is confronted with. The brutality of 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 born you know and and what he's good at that that's something that i like a lot in action films is i'm like there's violence all around and you can't stop and reflect on it all the time but it does it, it, not in movies in which like it, it's not taking itself seriously but in in movies where it, it really is like there's some there's meant to be some level of like of of consequence and stakes and it it's taking itself seriously to some extent it kind of annoys me whenever the people who are largely uninvolved in this part of of the business are exposed to it and just take it in stride you know uh so whenever characters like maria or nikki are confronted with like what well, we're just used to, like oh this is just this is a tuesday you know like this is this is what <laughs> life i just watched john wick kill a hundred people yeah like it's it's whatever so whenever because you know we we are our pov is the protagonist and the protagonist pov like he's just it you know and and like he said he's it's not as if this means nothing to him it's just he cannot afford to just pause and reflect and freak out about it he's got to keep moving it doesn't mean it's not something he's thinking about but with moments like that you get these side characters who who do force the movie to stop and think like, oh, that was a guy. Uh, he was a real person, was like a human being that we just killed. And that's a big deal. When he punches a dude on the run, like you could rationalize that. Oh, he's going to be OK. When you strangle the guy for 30 seconds with your bare hands, <laughs> there's not a lot of excuses you can tell yourself. Yeah. Um, and like it made me think, like, how many people has Bourne killed in these movies? Um, so you got Clive Owen, the three guys in Paris, which was actually like a resh- action reshoot, so they only half count. <laughs> um, Martin Sokas, uh, possibly Kirill, although he's he's alive when we leave him, but he doesn't look like he's in good shape. <laughs> um, then I'm Dash, not kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah, I feel like at most he's killed seven people across three movies, which. But like by by uh, by action film standards, that's, that seems very low. Yeah. Like there's a like this film is just like just one dude. Like that's the, the entire body count of this enormous action film is one person. All 
or at least <laughs> the body count that's on him. Yeah. I, I do. I, I do appreciate the restraint in that regard. Um, but going back to Nikki, um, I, I do love how awkward it is. Like even up to the end where like they're at the bus stop and she kind of turns to him and they just look at each other for like 10 seconds. Like, okay, okay I guess, I guess this is it. And it's just the other line. It gets easier. And then they're gone and probably never see each other again. And it's, I, I do very much like that. They didn't turn that into a romance. Um, like any, I feel like any other action film would have, like after the Tangiers chase, they'd sleep together. It does. I, I feel like it makes more sense the way this film handled it than most movies would. Yeah, and and the it would it would almost it would cheapen the character of Maria. I think if they tried to do any more here, because Maria was kind of his conduit to a new identity, like this she was kind of helping him as he created who he is now. And and that's where so much of his idea of himself came from. And now at this point in his story, there's no like reintroduction to the world and who he is and stuff needed. And, and so a character like that, there's no longer that thing that needs to be there's not that missing piece that another person can fill. It's just, I I am aware enough now of who I am and what the situation is. Uh, obviously not saying that in a, like a using somebody, but like, you, you know what I mean? Like it's, there was a very intentional reason for the story to include Maria and that that's not kind of here anymore. And I like the choice to help, you know, to help Born to go against her agency has like enormous personal costs for Nikki. Like her her life's over. It's actually like really depressing, like that final scene where they're together. Well, I like to think that she contacts Landy and she gets a pardon uh-huh. or something. <laughs> um so uh moving on to uh the thing I really want to talk about, the Tangiers action chase. Oh boy, um I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh but I have a lot to say. I I love how layered this is. Like, there's one, you've got, like, all of the different moving pieces. Uh, a lot of, like, you've got a super interesting use of geography in more than one way. You know, different. It's a very vertical scene and horizontal scene. Like, with the way that they are able to play with one location is super cool. It's a really long sequence, but it changes things up enough visually and, and what we're at. Like it, I don't know. There's just, there's, there's a lot going on in this one action scene. And like, it's hard to say one bit is cooler than the other. And it like, it culminates in such an exclamation point. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's 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 my favorite sequence in the movie. It's really cool. Mm. Like it's so many parts. Like first you have the thing where they're, they're stalking the Dash and trying to trick him with the new phone, and and then that moment where Dash outsmarts Bored and puts him in the trap, and then the rest of the sequence is just Bored trying to catch up with him again after being outsmarted, which I think makes Dash a very formidable villain. Um, I don't think he's a single line though. Uh, very, very Terminator-like in in that kind of visual language, and like so, you have the the the, the more quiet motorcycle slash moped, cha- you know, f- tailing through the streets. Um, then you have the dirt bike where he's he's going through trying to outrun the cops. 
Uh, then, then it's the chase across the roofs and through the houses, all the while, you know, Dash stalking Nikki. Like, it has all these parts. But th- the rhythms is one thing that really got me this time. Particularly, like, as it, like in at the second half, where Bourne's running across rooftops and Dash is stalking uh, Nikki in the alleys. Like, combining those, like, because, like, the Dash and Nikki sequences are very quiet. They're scary, almost like a horror scene. And then the board ones are just, like, chaotic him running with, uh, you know, John Powell's drums and percussion. And it's, like, the way, like, they'll have to seed in these moments of pause for Bourne so that they can then cut back to Nikki without it feeling jarring. So, like, there's a couple more, like, where... He'll run for a while, then he'll stop and like stand up tall, like trying to catch his geography. It's a really good a moment where, like he, he he's been running from the cops. He, he pauses on the edge of the roof, and you see these like wide helicopter shots of the cops kind of surrounding him and yelling at him. And we hear like the uh, the, the Muslim the, the 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 prayer call going off in the distance. It's like this really atmospheric thing. And we cut back to Nikki as she's like freaking out, trying to sneak away, and then like she jumps across the roof. We hear the sound, Dash looks up, and then Bourne just bursts out running again. Like it has these moments where it can pause. Like there's these very natural pauses, and then it kicks back into gear again. It does it a couple times. And then the final one is where you know we cut back to the quiet of um Nikki in the house and Dash in the house. And then Bourne runs up, he pauses, he sees her through the window, and then the drums kick up, and then he runs again and jumps through the window, then we move into the fight. Like there's it 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 it's able to seed in these little moments of pause. To, to get our bearings, to feel some tension for Nikki, and then cuts back to the crazy action. It just does that like three or four times throughout. It's just so so smartly edited. And it's one of those sequences in this film where maybe the only sequence where it it kind of strips. You know, you, you've got him surviving the bomb, but he doesn't feel as super super heroic, powerful. You know, like there's. It's the most I most tension I felt in the movie because you do beforehand whenever whenever Bourne just has to worry about himself, uh, like everything's in, under control. But whenever he, whenever the tables are turned here, and then it becomes Bourne trying to catch up with somebody else, like that's when like the desperation that you felt more regularly in the previous two really come in. You know, yeah, like this, we we like Nikki. We yeah, don't like, want her to die. You you really feel this ticking clock. Uh, and there's just there's there's a different feeling between a chase scene where like the character's the one being chased and a chase scene in which you're having to like like there's another there's it's 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 like I said like this kind of ticking clock where you're having to find somebody else before something happens stuff like that really gets you on the edge of your seat and I like that the whole thing is centered on saving someone rather than you know one of his own personal goals and like little moments where like he, when he throws the aerosol can in the grill, like he takes the time to like bodily carry the dude, you know, 10 paces away from it before it blows up to make sure he doesn't get hurt. Like he's, he's, he's trying, he's not, he's tr- very carefully trying not to hurt anybody except cops. They're fine to hurt, but everyone else, like he's very, he's not trying to uh, injure anyone. And just the visual is the the way it's all done, the bits of visual storytelling. Like when he comes up to to where where Nikki was sitting, like he's on the bike and he just like drops the bike and starts running. This is not even a second's pause, 
And as he's running down, the, the, and he runs by the tables, and there's like there's one shot of the empty table, one shot of the phone she destroyed, and it's like it all. It, it's like it's it's treating the audience like we're bored, and we're just looking and registering information and just moving on. Like there's no absolutely no pause, but it's still the shot is held just long enough to where we see what Bourne sees and we understand what he understands, and just the whole movie is like that. And all oh, that, that all that moves up to that just that amazing jump through the window. Like, how awesome is that shot? So that's like, that's that fight scene is like, like that's the when people refer to uh, like the fight scene from the Bourne series, this is what people you know talk about. And I've I've seen enough like movie montages to know that image. So when he's on it and he sees the window. I'm like I, I I know what's about to happen. The drums leading up to it, he jumps. The music kicks out, it's, and then crashes through the window. And without a pause, the death starts shooting, and they're into the fight. It's like that. Uh, the it's incredible. That little that you kind of feel the movie taking a breath in that moment of slow mo. Like this, it just feels like this cinematic plunge, and the way the camera just like flies off the building with him it's it's you know it's not set on a tripod and we watch it's, him li- jump it's like literally this. a dude with a camera on his chest jumping off the building behind him on a bungee cord that's incredible it's like that's why you do weird crazy cool stuff like that because you feel like just that that feel that almost sensation of of flying of just or, or of really of falling in that moment me having i don't know how that film was shot you know but prior to you telling me right now so it yeah it felt like this big like hold your breath jump like with i don't know there was just a sense of of participatory movement in that we're like oh frick we're jumping or it's just it's a cool moment and like it dash doesn't even jump he just looks over and starts shooting and then we're into the fight and this will forever be my argument against people who just kind of aimlessly bash shaky cam like it can be done well and i i think this fight is a master little masterpiece i think it's one it should be counted like among the great fight scenes it is so tight and so fast but like every single action that happens is captured on camera the camera's following each punch each kick but but the way they just so fluidly lead into each other my favorite bit is where he block like he um dash comes at him with the ashtray he blocks it with the book hits his foot he screams whacks him in the face and, like just jams his throat into the into the uh you know hits his throat throws him into the um like the wardrobe and, like, just punches the book in I, his face like, why is that so like, cool why like, i don't know so cool yeah, there's the sound design that punctuates every, punctuates every blow and the way every blow just feels like it's part of the larger whole you know it, it, this is a cool movie fight in a way. Um, so like it has a really brutal ending, but like it's 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 allowing itself. To, it's, it's not just trying to be serious. So we're allowed to have this shaky cam style used to its fullest in this sequence. And like I, I think like you can legitimately see everything that happens. Like it, it, maybe you won't see everything, but you hear it. And if you slowed it down, like every single move is completely on screen. It's, it's like it's not like you can't see anything. It's just really, really fast. Yeah. It, we kind of talked about it in Supremacy, uh, but I noticed it even more in this fight. Maybe it's because we had a conversation about it on an episode, so now it's more in my in my head. But sound design goes such a long way in helping 
these scenes be readable. Like the sequence, like the the moment where he's got the knife and he bats away, and you don't really see the knife fall, but you hear like you hear the loud clank on the floor. So you're like, okay, I know he's disarmed now. Like there's just hearing impact, hearing hearing these things helps you not get lost in the movement because you put things together. The sound design of the props, the sound of the book, the sound of the big ashtray thing he's swinging around, the sound of the razor, the sound of the towel, like each weapon has its own sound as well. Yeah, it's it's just so freaking good. Um, I could I could probably dissect it again, probably keep repeating myself, but it's good. It's so good. Um, and just the guy on Dash, Joey, Joey Ansa, I believe his name is, uh, like he doesn't say a single line. He's like a, a, you know, a stuntman, not choreographer guy, martial artist, but uh, he does, like, at least physically, you know, he makes himself a really imposing presence as he's hunting Nikki, and then the way he's able to you know, stand toe-to-toe and you know get the best of Born for a lot of that fight. Um, you know, it, Even though it's such a small, quiet role, it kinda, it, he really cements himself as a, a memorable you know, secondary antagonist. It's, I feel like b- both assassins really have a have like a, a strong presence in this film. Like, I, I think we talked about it before. The series is good at, at casting like faces that are recognizable. Yeah, Scott Glenn, that is a face. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and uh, speaking, of, well, yeah, Edgar Ramirez. This is one of his early English speaking roles. Um. He's good. Like he's he's got a he's got a very sad kind of puppy dog looking face. So you know, at the end where he's having his crisis of conscience, or where he's like he's bleeding in the car, like you, you kind of feel for him, even though he, you know, he's it's such a small role. He's got you know, these very sad, soulful eyes. Yeah, it's kind of his last moments. Kind of echo the the last moments of Clive Owen, where this just stone cold assassin. It, it, it's. It becomes immediately easy to humanize them. We're like, oh, that's a that's a real person. Now I'm sad again. I love they brought back that. Line. Look at us. Look what they make you give. I love how like there are little lines and moments. I don't seen that kind of brought back uh, when Nikki's like she's at the sink dying and cutting her hair, and then Born looks in like you could feel yeah. like he's remembering when this happened for Nikki. Um, like there's like little subtle callbacks. Some not so subtle, but. That I, I felt like kind of really brought this full thing, full, this uh, series full circle, where it feels like a satisfying finale. And you know, just to to go back to talking about the action, that that car chase is pretty great. But what's going to be cemented in my mind is like that became like one of my new all time favorite cinematic car crashes. Like, oh, just there are some things that you can't do as well with cgi yeah the watching just go up the divider the crash the the fold in the car just everything and how long it like the scrape and the sound design is like that it's just that that is top tier movie car crashes the moment where he leans over and wraps the seatbelt around himself is like like, iconic born moment um but yeah (laughs) I love just how shredded the back of that police car is. I, I f- he hits like five or six people from behind, like with with the back of that police car. <laughs> it's just like the bumper is dragging behind it. Uh, yes, sir. He drove off the roof. What? 
He's flying okay. on rooftops. I think I don't know how how did they make him drive you off a rooftop not feel so totally stupid? I don't know. It just looks it cool. works. Yeah. Cool. There's some moments where driving from far high like from extreme heights is cool. You know, Ghost Protocol comes to mind. It's just you know, that that looks cool. I'll say it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's a lot of cool kind of twists and turns happening in New York where you know, they call it, they think they're dead. And then I love there's like parallel scenes where, where Vosin's right hand man comes like, you know, the, the guy in Marrakesh, he found, he found Dash's body. And then the, we cut to Tom. Isn't, isn't Tom awesome? Uh, Landy's right hand dude. Yeah. He's just the best. Uh, he comes in, he, you know, he, you know, he himself found the passport and like, so they're trying to communicate with Bourne and we have, we, we cut, we have that scene, you know, the final scene from supremacy where we have that moment. And then like, so he uses that to get Landy to go. So they all follow him. So he's able to sneak into Vosin's office. And then he, and it's another a scene where it kind of reveals it's a movie. Like, you know, uh, you, you didn't really think I was coming to, you know, to, to, uh, wherever. Like, uh, no, I guess I didn't. Where are you in my office? And like, yeah, I doubt that. Cause if you were, we have this conversation face to face. Like that's a great movie moment. But uh, no spy would reveal that he's in the in the middle of the the, the bad guy's uh, headquarters. Um, so like it, it's it, it's silly, but it, it's such a fun moment just to see David Strathairn's face reacting to it. Yeah, I because of because of this the fact that like this series rarely affords itself those kinds of moments of of just and here's a cool line and a cool moment. Like really, all we've had of stuff like that is the you look tired pant like that's the most ah uh-huh. cool movie thing and so i was i was waiting for the and the fools they fell into his trap they went back and it's exactly what he wanted them to do i'm like oh no he just really wanted to rub it in his face i guess yeah and i like that you know by the end landy is like fully on his team running you know, she's running around trying to you know faxing the secret documents and that final moment between her and vosin uh, when he bursts into him, like I love his indignant face. <laughs> he's like, he's like, "I'm very not happy right now, okay?" And you're gonna see it on my face. Uh, then we get the moment in the training center where we go and meet Albert Finney. And it's crazy, like this—he has such a small role. Like, he, I think, he has like one phone call, and then we hear his voice in a couple of the flashbacks. But oh my gosh, does this dude have presence? Yeah. Like when he just walks in, and we talked about in um identity how how cool it was the way, uh, what's his name? What's the Conklin? Uh, where, where he he has the gun in his face, but it also feels like he's controlling the scene by just blustering. Whereas here, yeah, Albert Finney, he also has a gun in his face, and he also feels in total control, but but just by his absolute stillness and just the authority in his voice. I just love watching actors act like this, where they can just play these huge, larger-than-life people who can just control the room with their voice. It's just so much fun and to when watch. When you get a voice like he does, it's it's easier. And I feel like I, maybe it's because I've watched it so many times, but I think every single line that he delivers it just becomes iconic. I mean, uh, you know, you don't remember, do you? We didn't pick you; you picked us. You volunteered. Said you wanted to serve. Like, something about the way he delivers each and every line, uh, which is, he's so good. Uh, the, the final moment, you know, are you going to kill me? No. 
You don't just at the start, they're going to give you all the wallet lightning. <laughs> I like that line. It's like, that's a good burn. Um, yeah, so it, it's like the, the guy, as you said, the actual reveals at the end of each movie aren't really that big, but they hire these amazing character actors to make it feel bigger. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I, I am getting emotional by the end of that, where it's like, you know, who was he? You know, what did he do? It doesn't matter. And he kills the guy, and we just kind of see this sadness and self-loathing in Bourne's eyes. We're like, he could kill this, similar to with uh, Brian Cox, like he kill, could kill this man and place the blame on him, but he knows that that really isn't the truth. Like, he's just as responsible. And it's just really sad, and we hear the sad, haunting Bourne theme quiet in the background. Um, like, I, I get like genuinely kind of choked up in that scene. And also, also just the line, you know, why, why didn't you take the shot? And where he delivers that line, Clive Owen's line, back to Edgar Ramirez, kind of, like, again, reaffirming the humanity of these fellow assassins. Yeah. I, I like that, you know, they both end in, well, it begins the opening of the first film, that a, a really cool shot under the water with the flashing beacon of Bourne. And then we go back to the water um, for, it's like, it's like you, know, birth, you know, death and rebirth kind of symbolism. You know, he he woke up in the water, and now he finally you know, finds peace. He he, you know, he he leaves it all behind him in the water, and as he swims off, and <laughs> just a little smirk on uh, Julia Stiles' face. <laughs> yeah, it's a really just a really really satisfying ending. See, I that's I've got to believe that she gets out fine. <laughs> <laughs> I really I really like this movie a lot, but what's weird is that. I don't know how much of a trilogy ender it feels like. Really? Is that... So I, I think it's because... So something you said earlier, you know, the there's not a lot of info revealed in these endings, and, but the reasons they work the way they do is because of these character actors who are giving interesting uh, performances and are just, like, captivating on the screen... I feel like as much as I really I love the line you like you don't deserve the star they'd give you at Langley, like that sequence also, it feels like it's accomplishing what the last scene of supremacy already did in which you like, <laughs> and identity like he you always have these moments where he's able to kill them, and and he doesn't like there there's this like high road taken and it's explicitly stated you know in supremacy with like it, Maria wouldn't want it. So every like every time we get to the ending and he's got like I've got this new government bad guy in sights, but I'm not going to because that's growth. Like when you do when you make that three times in a row, it 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 feels like reinforcement as opposed to to growth. So like, and because like I said, we don't really learn a lot about his identity that we 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 know that he volunteered is like the big thing, but I I don't know if I maybe I was meant to think that there was some sort of like brainwashing or something to get him into it. But I kind of always assumed that, you know, he, he chose to be an assassin before. Cause I, I thought that that was part of, you know, why, why he's such a pained person, you know, like, because like I, w- I was this, it wasn't really a winter soldier thing. It is like a, this is who, this is who I was, not what I did, but who I was. So it, it does feel like, with each movie, I'm there start to finish for the ride. I enjoy every minute of it. 
but I don't I got just about as much closure from this ending as I did from the identity ending or the supremacy ending in which I didn't learn a whole lot new. I had a lot of fun with the great action and he had a cool last confrontation. But I I feel about as thematically resolved as I've always felt. I think what's what's different here is that he really he takes the fight to them. He makes allies in the CIA, and they like they actually take everyone down. Like like there's actual change. There's there's Senate hearings. Um, there's the, the, like the other times, you know, they cu- they cut Conklin loose, they cut Abbott loose, but the structure survives. Like here, there's actual there was an actual kind of blow against the system, the man yeah. or whatever. And I, I do agree. Like each film has a strong ending. And they could totally end the series. Like, the sequels are, quote-unquote, unnecessary in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you so much. I, I just, I don't know, just for me, even, like, this last time, knowing that there are two more movies, like, okay, I am very satisfied with this ending, and I am totally cool if I, you know, this is this is the boring ending for me. I guess it's, it, it's, you know, like, from a plot standpoint, it makes sense why that would, and they also they they go back to the beginning, like they go back to the moment where he became, where he made the choice to become Jason Bourne, and he fully well, sure he kind of did the same thing. I don't want to do this anymore in Bourne Identity, but they do it again, even harder this time. <laughs> I'm going uh, to really not kill you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like so plot wise that all makes sense. You know, like like you said, there's there's no more really. Well, I don't know what the plot of Jason Bourne is. But it leaves you with the impression that there's there's no more having to look over your shoulder. You know, like there's we we don't get the last tease of, well, Blackbriar's done, but well this new thing like it's things things on the plot front seem pretty wrapped up. But I, I just I feel this is like Operation Insight. Do what? Operation Insight. <laughs> well is that the legacy? No, that's uh that's uh Winter Soldier. Oh duh, that's right. Uh, but I, I think thematically, character-wise, I I don't feel that same. I don't know. I I don't feel the the trilogy resolution that you would normally feel in a trilogy with Bourne himself. Not that it, not that it's not there completely, but like if you said, oh, this was three of four, I'd be like, okay. I, I can buy that there's like one last step for him or something or you know it, it didn't feel like and this is this is the last thing we wanted to say about Bourne you know like here's our definitive statement for for him and his journey yeah uh, well okay I, I'd be I'd be curious when you take that afternoon off or uh, what you what you think about you know watching them all together yeah, it could that could very much reframe my thoughts on some of this so I think we've we've gotten around to pretty much everything we want to talk about in this movie. Um, I really don't have a lot to say about the score. Um, like it's it's good. It's it's much more orchestral and less electronic. Although I didn't really have like there were, for me there were a lot of really standout tracks in Supremacy, and they were all good in Ultimatum, but nothing really stood out to me. However, I do I do really like uh Moby's Extreme Ways remix. Um. I feel it's simpler, kind of cleaner. It's less a lot less electronic. There's you know, less of the distortion, more uh, instruments. Like you can, his vocals come through more. Other than that, yeah, there's not much I had to say about the music. How about you? Uh, yeah, I. It's the the music for me is it's weird. Like I'm, 
it's not even just in the background for me. Like, I'm always very aware and cognizant of the music during the movie. But yeah. it's music that's, at least for me, hard to recall after the after the fact. Like, I'm like, I remember enjoying it. I, rem- I think it's because it just, it marries itself to the scenes super well. I recall scenes and it, you know it's i can't be like oh well, what did the music actually sound like but i remember like just throughout the whole trilogy enjoying the music next one is done by a james newton howard who i've come to really love so i'm hoping for something good there so uh how do you uh what do you rate this film out of five stars and how do you rank uh the original born trilogy now that you've seen them uh so i go i think four stars uh i like this one a lot it because it's greengrass like you know, we talked about there, especially by the end of the third one. There is, you you could write out a formula, or or at least a structure. You know, you're very aware of the way these move. So I've, it's super similar to Supremacy to me in that regard, especially. Uh, but I do think that there, this feels a little bit more mature. Uh, it feels like Greengrass has a better handle on on the plot, despite the fact that you know I did say motivation felt stronger in Supremacy. It still felt like this. I don't know this. It, it felt more, maybe it's because it felt more like a movie, and that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, so I I prefer it to Supremacy. I also the the mall sequence and the the chase with Desh, I just think are absolute standouts. Um, so action wise, I definitely give it to this over supremacy. I think identity is still my favorite of the trilogy though. Um, I I really like it's it's born at his most like being a person. I I, I feel like because of just the relentless pace of Greengrass, we're like. Even at, like transitions, like we can't. The, the, even whenever we're looking at something, still we're still having like those mini snap zooms all the time. Like there's just <laughs> the camera is whizzing about all the time, and I I did like I was I was thinking about it after Ultimatum ended, and I was just thinking about the whole trilogy. I was like I I almost get nostalgic now for just like a scene where he could sit in a diner with Maria and be like, hey, why do why do I know that I could run blah, blah, blah. Like just these mm-hmm. scenes where we sit and we talk and it's, I don't know. I, 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 there's just a certain vibe and feel to the first one where it is, it is a thriller. It is a chase movie. It's, it's got everything going for it that I think the whole trilogy does. But I, I kind of just like that. It's, it's able to be a little, a little quieter, a little smaller scale, uh, more yeah. often but i it's not a series where i feel like there's massive differences in quality between them all like i i very much enjoyed all three so i i think the rating or ranking though i go uh identity ultimatum supremacy yeah so for me i i give it four and a half out of five stars and it's like it's i give the previous two four stars a piece and it's not like there's there's nothing wrong with either of those films i 
deeply like, you know, I really like them. But I feel like this film, it just has that extra spice that took it, that extra half star. I think it's mainly just being the action junkie that I am and how awesome the action was. Also, I, I, I do think this might be the most just kind of emotionally satisfying for me. Maybe maybe it has to do with it being more of a movie and maybe and and you know it being it more obviously tugging at my heartstrings than the other ones. I don't know, but um, it just it just leaves me a little bit more happy with it than the previous two. So I give it four and a half, and I rank the series so far as uh, number one is Born Ultimatum, number two the Born Identity, and number three the Born Supremacy. So moving to the box office, uh, it earned two hundred twenty-seven million uh, domestically and two hundred sixteen million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of four hundred four. Uh, for a worldwide total of $444 million on its $110 million budget, um, that's $130 million more than Supremacy made, wow. um, making it the highest grossing film in the series, both domestically and worldwide, and that includes over the two sequels. It holds a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and 85% on Metacritic, uh, which is about a 10% increase on the previous films. And the reviews, like we talked about the previous two films, like the re- the reviews were always very respectable. I feel like here the reviews were like actually really excited. People, like critics, loved this movie. The majority of the praise going to Greengrass's helming of the action sequences, the set pieces. Um, it's just the the way the action was staged really seemed to blow people away at the time. Like maybe similar, like not quite to where you have with something like uh, maybe Infinity War or Mission Impossible Fallout or. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, but but like kind of getting to you know like where most action films like oh that was a good action film this one actually felt like the critics actually sat up sat up and paid attention and yeah. it really impressed them and and it, it's still remembered as just a really great action sequence it was uh, not only nominated for but it won three Academy Awards uh I, it won for a uh, best editing best sound mixing and best sound editing honest and um yeah so it won the only three Oscar nominations that the series ever received. I feel like it was probably kind of making up for the fact that they didn't even give, you know, best sound or anything to the previous ones. So yeah, like moving into its legacy, I feel like it, it's, it's still very respected as an action. I, I don't know that it, it's kind of taken its place alongside like your matrix matrix or your John wicks or your fury road or fallout. Those are the people talk like, you know, truly spectacular Hollywood action. People talk about those. I don't know that this one is quite there. And I don't know if that has to do with the film or maybe just because maybe, maybe it was the reaction to uh shaky cam that, that like some of those films were kind of part of. Um, so I, I'm generally wondering, like, will it in time kind of rise up into those ranks or will it always just be a really good, will it just be like a, a really good action film or will it kind of get up into the legendary status? You know, it's weird. We've, we've talked about how, it's, it's it's hard to differentiate the legacy of all of the three the three of this first trilogy because it feels like people refer to them as like a whole uh, but I will say looking into this more you know just like reading reviews and, and stuff it it does look like this one is mostly regarded as the best of the three you know, like there is some separation made for the understanding that it culminated in this this best one. Um, as as for I honestly I just I I don't see it moving in terms of of legacy like with Born Legacy going nowhere and Jason Bourne kind of being all but forgotten already. Like I I don't perceive any 
jolt being given to its status. So I, I think wherever, whatever the perception of it is right now, I think that's probably that's that's probably this movie's legacy in cinematic history. Like that's that's its place. Yeah. Well, I, any way you look at it, I think the the Bourne series is pretty safe. It's it's well liked. Um, maybe it deserves to be liked more. Think about that, huh? <laughs> All right. Um. So that was our review of the Bourne Ultimatum. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, uh, again, I'd like to ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at Franchise Fatigue Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at Franchise Pod on both of those sites. And you can find all other episodes at FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? You can follow me over on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, and you can also follow the both of us over on the Outer Rim Ace Star Wars group on Facebook. Uh, we've got uh, Mandalorian Season 2 coming up pretty soon. So if you, you know, still... It might already be out by the time this episode comes out in two weeks. Oh, that's true. We'll very close either way. So if you're not Star Wars out yet and you're still wanting to, wanting to talk about the series and where it's going, definitely feel free to join us over there. We are a very positivity positive oriented <laughs> however you want to say that we like talking about star wars and we like star wars so if you're excited about everything that is to come join us over there i am also on letterbox and there's gabriel green i um you can follow me on instagram as gabe the great green and uh i have a youtube channel called green rio one where i put together these uh, uh music where i put together these um, movie based music videos and trailer mashups and stuff like that um, so next episode will be in two weeks. It will be on The Bourne Legacy. I saw this movie once, and I never felt the need to watch it again. So <laughs> we'll see. I didn't hate it, but it also didn't really do anything for me. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping it surprises me. I you know I like liking movies, but I'm not going to get my hopes too high. We're coming up to the one movie I've seen in the franchise. Ew. And what's funny is like, I still have about as much cultural awareness of it as I did the other trilogy, which because I just it left no lasting impact. And you know the Bourne movies, even though I hadn't seen them, like any action montage is gonna feature usually like all three of them. Like it's just you're very I, I you know I was not I didn't I didn't know any of like the plot points ahead of the time, and I was surprised by a lot of the people in it. But like you still you still know like I know there's this apartment fight, I know there's this car chase. And all I can remember from Legacy is essentially stuff that you just see in a trailer anyways, so I feel like I might as well be in go like I'm going in fresh anyways. I think there's a drone somewhere. I know there's a motorcycle chase, there are <sighs> pills involved, and he's in the snow at some point. And that's yeah. about it. I think it ends on a boat. <laughs> we'll see if we can remember any better next week when we talk about it. Here's a It's doubtful. So until next week, we will see you in the reboot slash sequel. Cody Dennis, we need to be dead. Bye.